the National Parks. I can feel it on Island 1069 WIIS Key West. Good morning. I'm Gwen Falosa. The show is called It's Too Early, and we're broadcasting right off Duval Street in beautiful Key West, Florida. It was raining earlier, but it's it's gone in typical island form. I'm super excited to have my guests this morning. They teach writing at Mount Holyoke College, and their book is Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl. We have a lot to talk about. Andrea Lawler, good morning. Good morning. How's it now? Is it too early for you? You're a professor. You're always up. Right? It's not too early. I have an eight-year-old, so oh, okay. They we get up at like five or six in this house. They so. want they want things like food. Did you know that they they want to play um, games like Dragonwood at <laughs> six in the morning. So that is awesome. That is great. Yeah. Now I just want to jump right into this. Paul takes the form of a mortal girl. This is a novel that it, it's a breakout novel. It, it was a twenty-eight. 2018 finalist for the Lambda Literary Awards. It's gotten so much press. You were in the New York Times. Yeah, that was bonkers. I mean, that was so cool. And it was like a long story, too. I mean, it wasn't just a, you know. Well, it wasn't just, I mean, they were writing, they wrote this uh, great kind of feature about trans uh, fiction, which was cool. Correct. And they had a lot of writers in it. And they um, they talked to me and uh, my best friend, Jordy Rosenberg, who wrote a really awesome novel called Confessions of the Fox, which people should also read, okay. um, which is about, uh, it's like a historical fiction reimagining Jack Shepard as like this famous uh, prison break artist as um, a trans man, basically. It's so cool. There's pirates. What? Uh, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Um, yeah, so there were, the, the time sent this really nice guy to come and talk to me and Jordy because at that time we were still living we were um living in the same house which is which was kind of I I think they liked that angle too mm-hmm. um and then they talked to a lot of other really amazing uh trans and non-binary or you know gender non-conforming writers people use lots of different kinds of, of language but they talked to um Bakwake Amazi who wrote Freshwater and Pat and they talked to um Hai Cheng Tom, who wrote Fierce Femmes and Notorious Liars, a trans girl's uh, fabulous memoir. So that's a great novel. Um, they talked to a lot of people. So we were both, you know, we were all excited to be included, but it was weird to be in the Times. It was, it was such a it was a really well done um, article and it was it was great to read and now Paul takes the form of a mortal girl this is a novel the 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 character the protagonist if you will is um, it's described on your website as a as a uh, they're described as a shapeshifter and and can you talk a little bit about a lot about um, what's going on with the novel well sure so in the in the book the the novel set in it sort of starts in 1993 and it's set in the um, early mid 90s. And then there's a little bit of, of flashback to parts of Paul's earlier life. But um, Paul is like a, a college student who is um, sort of like, well, it's not too much of a spoiler to say, ends up dropping out of University of Iowa and um, is sort of roaming around the country trying to figure things out, as one does mm-hmm. at age 23. Um, and and Paul is a shapeshifter and the novel is sort of um, a way to kind of explore some of those shapeshifter stories that that I have always been attracted to. And I think a lot of trans people or people who are, you know, questioning gender, like gender binary, um, 
have been attracted to this idea like in in lots of different pop culture stories there and myths and legends they're shapeshifters mm-hmm. um and this goes way back and it's sort of like lots of different cultures have stories about people who can change their body or gods who change their body um and so i i'm imagining a shapeshifter story but the the shapeshifter is already queer and living in a queer world in a queer context and you know so so it's not sort of like oh my gosh you know a lot of times queer people or trans people reading shapeshifter stories are sort of like reading for that that sort of moment where it sort of almost fits mm-hmm. and it feels like oh that's almost what it could be like or that's almost what i want or that's almost what i am but i i thought well what happens if you write this story where the character just is already queer and then what do you do if you can actually change your body Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at will um and so for paul 23 queer 1993 it's like hooking up with basically everybody mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and it, the 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 travels it's uh, there's the women's music festival in michigan which i've never went to i don't know why. me neither <laughs> oh, for, oh, oh my I, god i feel so much better <laughs> no no i mean i think the thing about the michigan women's music festival is that i in the um you know, in the time when it was going on, the time when the book is set is also, I was, you know, I'm sort of the same age as Paul. So um, I didn't go to it because I sort of had these aesthetic problems with it. Like mm-hmm. I thought a lot of people I knew were going, friends were going. And it, um, in some ways it had an appeal because it was, you know, like a big party. Mm-hmm. But I didn't necessarily, I wasn't that into women's music Me at neither. the time. And, um, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't into a kind of a separatist scene mm-hmm. and I thought it was aesthetic, but you know, as I got older and looking back and as things sort of played out, the Michigan women's music festival became really well known for exclude, like explicitly excluding trans women. Oh, I didn't um, yeah. And they ended up, it ended up closing down mm-hmm. in part because there were so many protests and they just couldn't, they couldn't shift. And the thing that was a little, you know, the thing that was interesting is that there had always been trans women mm-hmm. in lesbian spaces and in women's spaces and as part of that community. But it was just there was like they they doubled down on this like really mean exclusionary policy. And so it it kind of lost its relevance. But for me, I felt pretty I didn't it took me a long time to realize this. I felt kind of wrongly welcomed. Like I didn't want to go to a space that was just women mm-hmm. because I didn't feel like I was a woman. And I didn't have the language for that in the early 90s. Whereas, you know, now it's easy for me to say like, oh, well, that doesn't speak to me. And I think it's great for people to have spaces that are just, you know, you know, people who want to gather and who need to be in like women's space. Sure. It doesn't make sense to exclude trans women from that. That to me was like really clear. And it doesn't make sense to exclude trans women and include trans men, which was sort of what was going on at Michigan. And it was... Mm -hmm really this sort of gender essentialist thing. And so all of which is to say, I'd never gone, but I did a lot of research and I'd had friends who went because I wanted to include that scene because it felt like that's a sort of really big piece of the big. of 90s queer culture. Even if you didn't go, you knew it was mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also wanted to kind of do it justice and make sure that it was clear that there were great things about it. And there was a reason why trans women wanted to go, you know, because there were cool things about it. Mm-hmm. so but I didn't go 
etc. But yeah, so it's like Michigan Women's Festival, Boys Town in Chicago. Paul goes to all these places that are like really queer um, kind of communities. Provincetown, which is a place I, I lived and I think has a lot of similarities to Key West culturally. Yes, uh, that's what I've heard. I haven't been yet. When, but... when I lived in Provincetown I, I, in the 90s and then later, um, there were always people who did like, you know, they worked for the summer in Provincetown and the winter in Key West. It was like mm-hmm, a... Mm-hmm. It was a circuit, and it was sort of like U.S. the promised land. I'll go someday. <laughs> have Have you been? You, you haven't been? Never. I love to go, it. But... It's great. It's great. It's far away. Yeah, it's a little pricey. It is far away. Yeah. A little pricey. A little pricey. But I guess I just um, imagine the the novel is. I, I just keep thinking of the word freedom, and the, the, is that am I close of what? Oh, you're that I at? mean, that's amazing to me that that's what comes up for you because that's sort of my. You know, as like a queer person and a transish person, it's like I'm I'm always after freedom and mm-hmm. liberation, and that's what I think. Like that's what I think the movement is strongest when we work for liberation for everybody. And I love that feeling of freedom. And I think Paul is seeking freedom. Um, so that that makes a lot of sense that that word would come up. But I think there is a freedom also in in sort of like not being boxed in mm-hmm. around gender or bodies. And so this is a magical freedom that Paul has as a shapeshifter because it's sort of like this literal thing. You know, it's not, it's not, Paul's not, you know, trans in the way that we understand trans now. I hope the book is of interest to trans readers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, being trans is not like a magical shape-shifting experience you know um it's it's a it's much different thing and there are trans characters in the book but Mm -hmm. you know paul's having this this different experience that's that's pretty fantastical that's great maybe there's a freedom in that great great i i was i was close i was i was on it um when you when when it was being published did did anyone were there editors or people saying well let's do it this way or change it, 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 were, were people comfortable with your um your your presentation of of this certain world well i had a you know funny experience which is that i sent it out to a few places you know to agents to try to get an agent when i first um was done with it and i got really nice rejections like nice kind personal rejections mm. which meant that like my <laughs> my query letter was good and you know I knew like I had good connections and everything but they were all just sort of like thank you so much like lovely writing not for me and eventually uh, you know people who knew more about publishing were able to tra- translate that those rejections for me as sort of like there's too much sex we can't sell it uh-huh. and and you know and that was you know gosh that was in like you know, 2013, 2014. So the the world is really different right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what ended up happening is around that time, my partner had our baby and I was sort of like, God, I have to get this book off my desk. I guess people are not interested in gender or the 90s. Maybe there's just too much sex in it. I'm not going to cut anything. I'm not going to change it. Um, one, one agent asked me to rewrite it to sort of like amplify. He, he said very kindly, could Paul learn a lesson? And I was a little bit like, F wow. that, no. Wow. People don't learn a lesson in, you know, <laughs> 250 pages. Like, you don't learn a lesson from, like, 23 to 25. You might mm-hmm. get gradually better at 
not making the same mistakes, but um, I didn't want to have this big sort of like epiphany moment. So I kept it as it was. And then uh, friends of mine who had a, who were working at a small press called Rescue Press, which was located in Iowa City and Chicago and Cleveland. It was like, you know, everybody had a day job and they were kind of making this really beautiful small press happen with like beautifully designed, good looking books. Mm-hmm. that they really put a lot of love and effort into and with teeny tiny print runs, but a lot of uh, good, you know, like they really back them. So my friend said, will you submit to our reading period? And I said, yeah, totally. Because I knew that, that the um, editors were really amazing, like mm-hmm. beautiful. And what ended up happening is they wanted to do it. And I was like, great. Okay. Like, let's do this. And I got to work with Hillary Plum, who is really like a fantastic developmental editor and I just did everything she said and it was also like what she said was things like why do you have the fairy tales you either need more of them or fewer of them and of course I love excess so I was I was like more more (laughs) Uh, and so then I wrote more but so her editorial style was very much sort of like understanding what I was doing not at all you know afraid of anything that was sort of like sexually graphic or edgy or anything about identity and like really like they really understood what I was trying to do and then they put it out and then they um you know they didn't this is the thing about a small press is they they only might put out a few books a year but they put everything into those books and one of the things that happened was somehow nobody still understands maybe that they had this wonderful publicity guy um jeremy wang iverson working on the book and he i think it must have been him but there was a briefly noted mention in the new yorker mm-hmm. and then kind of everything changed and then um at that point i i um got some emails about publishing the book in in the uk and and questions about film or tv and so then my small press was like you need an agent and so then i went back to some of the agents and then I got this amazing agent um, who ended up helping me get the book reprinted by Vintage so then they were able to do a paperback reprint and have a bigger life because a small press as like you know full of heart as it is can't always do the same kind of distribution that a big press can do so Vintage is part of Penguin Random House and they they reprinted it at that point and then it was able to be in bookstores all over and, and then it came out in England and the UK, you know, the UK and Ireland. And that was really cool. That's great. That's great. And um, wow. I wish we had more time. You're, this has such, been such a delight to talk to you. I hope we can have you on in the future. Uh, I love it. This has been great. And congratulations on, on the success of the book and other, other projects you're doing and um, yeah, continued success. And um, yeah, I don't want to stop, but we have to, because oh, I love you. your show and thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. You too. Bye-bye. Bye now. And thank you all for tuning in this morning to It's Too Early. I'm here weekdays at 8.15. If you came in late or you've missed some shows, we are a podca- podcast. I don't know why I keep saying we. Every day I'm like, it's me, kind of. And, and well, Kevin Assam books the show. So yeah, maybe we are a we. I'm, I'm going to work this out on the air. Just going to work it out. Just keep talking. Uh, we're a podcast. It's Too Early with Gwen Filosa. Type that into Stitcher, Spotify, Audible, 
Uh, let's see. Um, more, more, more play. Podbean. That's that's uh, my main jam is Podbean, and you can check it out. There's about, there's about 50 episodes up, so um, check it out. You can binge. You can binge stuff. I'm gonna take a music break. Come back with your headlines and weather forecast. This is I love this song. Low Fidelity All Stars. You remember this song, y'all? It, it, it's a little aging. Battle Flag. Island 1069. Stick around. Your construction smells of corruption. 